1: The Bowery Boys, episode 140, Rockaway Beach. Hi there, welcome to The Bowery Boys. This is Greg Young. And this is Tom Myers. Uh, And that sounded a little... Something was a little off there with the opening. Something was missing, wasn't it?
0: Well... If you listened to our last show, you might recall that we promised a new ad at the beginning. That didn't quite come to fruition. What happened? We had
1: a few technical difficulties. So we'll be adding that to the next program. But Tom, why don't you give us the the intro live here? Oh, do that t- a live presentation.
0: Well, I would just say, as the editor of Eurocheapo, mm-hmm. that and perhaps some listeners didn't realize that that was my day job. But we are in the middle of a very exciting redesign, so stay tuned. And obviously, if you're heading to Europe, check
1: out the site for some great budget hotel recommendations. Now, we, however, are heading not to Europe, but to the beach, but, but to hotels. Two hotels on the beach, going to one of the most peculiar places within all the city, that is the Queens Peninsula, known as the Rockaways, or as some say, Rockaway Beach. For much of its early existence, this area has been defined as a resort area for New Yorkers, uh, defined by recreation and amusements, rivaling Coney Island as one of the destinations that people went in New York during the 19th and early 20th century, just to relax Of course, if you go to Coney Island
0: today, you can still ride a roller coaster, but when you head out to the Rockaways and look around, there's a beautiful beach stretched out for miles in front of you, but alas, no roller coasters, no giant resorts, no colorful hotels, no Irish bars to speak of. So what happened?
1: This is the tale of the changing fortunes of what used to be one of New York's most famous resort areas. So grab your suntan lotion, your surfboards... And let's be serenaded by the Ramones, performing perhaps one of the best known songs about this area. That would be, of course, Rockaway Beach. topic is located in the borough of Queens, but in an area that is not so much on the mainland, but on that peculiar little dangling long peninsula that is basically on the border of New York City proper and Long Island. Yes,
0: In fact, it borders Long Island. This is, of course, the Rockaway Peninsula. The area is colloquially called uh, the Rockaways. It's near the Long
1: Island town of Hempstead, which the reason I'm bringing that up is because before consolidation, it was actually considered administratively part of that town.
0: Right. So Mm pre-1898. So the area today is home to about 130,000 New Yorkers and is comprised of several different neighborhoods and, as you mentioned, one very long beach called Rockaway Beach. This beach is the longest urban beach in the United States, continuing for miles along the peninsula, opening up to the Atlantic side. I should mention that this peninsula has the side facing the Atlantic Ocean, and then it has the side facing the bay and across the way to Brooklyn and
1: Queens. Now, for much of that beach, there's also this grand boardwalk that goes for dozens and dozens of blocks and through very different kinds of neighborhoods.
0: These other neighborhoods or towns, really. Yeah, right include Far Rockaway, Hamels, Arvern, Neponset, Seaside, and we'll get into these stories. What's interesting about the Rockaways, too, is that it still attracts a wide spectrum
1: of People, It's very strange in the respect that each of these little towns have such a completely different character and you'll be perhaps going through one of them and then within just a short span, it'll completely change. One might be densely residential, the next part just might be sand dunes with no buildings.
0: And the variety of the populations that are drawn to the rockways can be traced to the peninsula's history because rich folk were drawn to the seaside escape to get out of the city during the hot summers and to build mansions and summer residences. Much later in the 20th century, the island offered a cheap solution to public housing and projects were were built out on Far Rockway.
1: But we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. I I think we need to ask a very basic question. Sure, shoot. What is a Rockaway? Like, (laughs) where did that name come from? It's it's a very odd name. It sounds Indian to me. That is the correct place to turn, sir. Uh, The original inhabitants provide the origin of that name, the Lenape Indian tribe. The Lenape, of course, had many individual tribes that were scattered through the New York and Long Island region. Um, and sometimes the names of those tribes would stick to the land themselves, mm-hmm. like Canarsie and Nyack. This area was named after the Rockaway tribe. So that's the uh-huh. rekewaki or um, which we believe is a word that means either place of sands, mm-hmm. which seems, sandy place which seems obvious, uh, the place of waters bright, mm-hmm. or even the lonely place. And given the. Various fortunes of this area, any of those names could apply. Maybe it was a lonely place of waters bright. It was comprised largely of sand and dune. It was a much different shape, of course, 400 years ago than it was now.
0: Because over the years, it would be filled in with some landfill to make it longer, and I suppose there'd be erosion and buildup just from the tides.
1: So when the Native Americans here first made contact with the Dutch, there were about 300 or so wigwams here. The first European settlers, however, settled over near where the town of Hempstead is, so they didn't actually come out onto this peninsula. In 1685, there was an eventual ceremony of sale, if you will, between the native people and representatives of the British colony of New York. That ceremony, by the way, was held at Rockaway Point, which at the time of this particular transaction was several miles east than it is today. So like, literally several miles of land have been added or were naturally accreted here. And they
0: just keep renaming it
1: Rockaway Point (laughs) as it sort of moves westwardly. Exactly. The first English settler of this area was a Quaker named Richard Cornell. Now that name sounds familiar. He was indeed an ancestor of Ezra Cornell who founded Cornell University Uh in upstate New York. Cornell owned much of the existing Rockaways up until the early 19th century when uh, his descendants started selling it off into lots. But during this period, when he and his family owned it, it was mostly used really for just a lookout. And it was especially useful, of course, during that period before, during, and after the Revolutionary War, of course... It was helpful for the British, for this area was very Tory heavy at that particular time. Um, there were, in fact, a few documented cases of American rebels who tried to sneak into Long Island via the Rockaway area and were captured mm-hmm. around this area. There was also some early histories that report that the Cornells were sometimes harassed by pirates who would land on shore here to pillage. Family members would sometimes go to the roofs of their house and pulled out a spyglass, and if they found, saw any mysterious boats out into the water, they would all abandon the peninsula, and they would run to shelter. So as I mentioned, the Cornell family, around the beginning of the 19th century, began to chop up the property into lots and selling it to interested parties. Of course, by this time, in New York and in the city of Brooklyn, these are two cities that are full of lots of wealthy people with lots of money who may want these properties, perhaps, say, for summer homes Mm -hmm. or for just a getaway out of these growing cities. And we're talking about, at this point, the 1820s, something like that? Well, in 1816, uh, a descendant of the original Cornell named Benjamin Cornell turned part of their original homestead here into a very modest resort destination called the Rockaway Bath. You could go here and enjoy the healthful salt air of the Rockaways. Now, over in Europe around this time, this is a big craze, this idea of sea bathing and actually improving one's health. But of course,
0: at the time, people weren't putting on bathing suits and flopping down on the beach, right? So (laughs) the whole concept of sunbathing was different from what we have today.
1: Several years later in 1833, one of the grandsons of Benjamin Cornell sold this property off to a collection of businessmen in the the Rockaway community and even some New York businessmen. One of them was one of my favorite New York mayors of all time, Philip Hone. He and a collection of these businessmen constructed a massive hotel here that would be inspired by... Of this healthy sea bathing concept that was coming over from Europe. So they were constructing a spa, like some
0: resort it to really, go off and take in the minerals and the fresh air. Sure,
1: you know? it's a spa. It really is a spa before the, they use this particular word. This place would be called the Marine Pavilion. By the time it was finished, it was one of the most spectacular structures on Long Island in the day. The first hotel of its type here on Rockaway, one of hundreds w- that would follow, of course. And many sources have claimed it was the most fashionable resort along the entire Atlantic coast.
0: It was even attracting celebrities at the time, right? Like
1: Washington Irving and Longfellow. It was often, it was considered an artistic retreat. It was a very classical style building with Doric columns. It actually, in pictures, to me anyway, it looks a little bit like the White House. It had 160 rooms, 250 feet long to compare it to the White House. The White House is 175 feet long, so it's... Mm-hmm. Larger than that. This was so fancy for the day. It even had a special turnpike that was built so that carriages could arrive at the Marine Pavilion. From Long Island. From Long Island. It was a log road called a corduroy road. Um, So stagecoaches and these carriages could travel and take people right up to the door. So it
0: sounds a bit curious, doesn't it, though, to have this gigantic, opulent hotel on this otherwise
1: sparsely populated island? It does seem peculiar, but that was part of the novelty. Were there other people living on the island? This pavilion, of course, because it was such a great success, and they obviously did a great job of promoting it, other people started to move out here, particularly actors, Um, Like I said, it was a little bit like an artist retreat. So there would be small cottages, small homes that would be built around this area. By the way, Marine Pavilion would be in the far Rockaway Mm -hmm. area today, if you were looking at a map. So the eastern end of the Rockaways. Right. Most of the western end is still sort of uninhabited. Or not there. Or not even there, or in the ocean, I should add that there is another poet that went here a lot by the name of Henry John Sharp and wrote one of his famous poems is about Rockaway. That Do you have
0: a couple of verses for I, us?
1: I do. May I, may please, I read please. them? On old Long Island's seagirt shore, many an hour I've whiled away, in listening to the breaker's road that washed the break at Rockaway. Henry John Sharp. I don't know much more about him, but that was an entire poem about his love of this area. So you have this celebrity-packed resort hotel, spa,
0: that is really only in use during the summer months I'm anticipating, Mm -hmm. and people arriving from the city via a turnpike um, Mm -hmm. through Long Island. Well, it seems like the biggest logistical problem now that the
1: island... Not island, oh, not did, island. I'm
0: probably saying island. I mean peninsula.
1: I'm but you sorry. want to say island. Because right, it's because sa- it's across the bay. It and feels you... like an island almost even today. Well, because we're New York-centric <laughs> yeah. and we're
0: only thinking about it in terms of the city of New York. But,
1: but just the Rockaways. The yeah, Rockaways, the way, I'm sorry. Yeah, sorry.
0: So it has this logistical problem for mm. getting efficiently people from New York out to this peninsular resort. Mm -hmm. So, starting in the 1830s, they were already talking about a railroad servicing the Rockaways, but that railroad would not be constructed and go into service until 1868, 1869, so they'd have to wait a lot longer. What they would get decades before that was a ferry that would take them from the Brooklyn side over to the bay side of the Rockaways. That came about because of a man named Uncle Jim. I'm talking about James Remsen.
1: (laughs) Didn't he make a rice? I'm sorry, that's Uncle Ben. Uncle Ben. No, we're
0: talking James Remsen. Jim. James Remsen owned a lot of property on the peninsula, which he had developed.
1: Including the Marine Pavilion. I think he had a little bit of a
0: hand in that, didn't he? Absolutely. Because he owned a lot of property, he wanted to see more development happening, more resorts, more hotels. So... He saw to it that there was a railroad constructed linking Canarsie and East New York so that New Yorkers could take it further out and then take a ferry from there across the bay to the bayside of the Rockaways. And it was along that bayside then that the next wave of hotels and resorts would be constructed. And this really ushered in a boom time during the 1840s and 1850s when many more accommodations would be constructed for the great pleasure of New Yorkers, and they would have fantastic names. Yeah, I mean,
1: th- and there's dozens of them. Looking yeah. back at these old newspaper clippings... Y- New Yorkers came out to the United States Hotel, Caffrey's Hotel,
0: Wynn's Alhambra Hotel, McGuire's Ocean Hotel, the Shirley House,
1: <laughs> Roche's Union Surf, the Waverly.
0: And it goes on and on and on. Of course, many of these would be constructed on the ocean side as well to take advantage of the the great beach. But it wasn't just hotels that were going up as well. Luxurious residences were being constructed as New York's wealthy class decided to summer off in the Rockaways and stay there for weeks or months at a time. I believe the Vanderbilts at one point were represented out here. Built something, yes. On June 25th of 1864, the Marine Pavilion, this elaborate first amazing hotel that you described, burned down. It was a dramatic event. The record that I read said that they had to use gunpowder on the surrounding structures to blow them up to prevent additional structures
1: from burning to the ground. Well, that reminds me of our podcast on the Great Fire of 1835, which is this was just one way to stop these massive fires was to literally blow up the buildings in its path so that it wouldn't spread. Right, right. There were
0: other developers in the 1850s who would purchase land and then and develop their own hotels, including Michael Holland, who in 1857 purchased uh, an area that is today named for him, Holland. And then there's Lewis Hamel, who soon afterwards purchased the area next to Holland's today called
1: Hamels. They're are little areas right. that are g- given these names based on the man, based on the men who purchased them 150 years ago. Meanwhile, the
0: the area we now called Rockway Beach, the the neighborhood, mm-hmm. was first developed and called
1: Oceanus. Ooh, that's I like that. I like name. Oceanus. Sure, it sounds like it should be near Las Vegas or something with some showgirls in mermaid bikinis. But other that than came That came later. <laughs> Stay tuned. Okay, so I... St- still kind of don't understand because it seems still it's like a little difficult to get out there. Well, it was
0: in 1869 when the Far Rockaway Branch Railroad Service started and they erected a large station in what is today Far Rockaway. This station was instrumental in bringing in day trippers in bringing in quite frankly the middle class Mm -hmm. to the Rockaways because of the influx of people coming for the day or for the weekend for short terms. It made it possible to own a place there and go there on on just the weekends, mm-hmm. it it led to a giant boom in the real estate market and the, the land values. And that train was originally intended to continue south down to the beach. So you would come in to that Mott Avenue uh, station and then it would turn and go south down to the beach and you would get off of course at the beach well somebody didn't like this there was a manhattan judge named horace <laughs> clark who owned an estate down there on the beach Oh, okay on well, the water so, so there's
1: no conflict of interest i'm sure
0: and suddenly horace clark his honor sees all of these day trippers and middle and working class gasp coming to the beach he didn't like that at all and so he put an injunction on it stopped the whole thing from happening And even today, when you take in the subway, Mm -hmm. we're still on that same stretch of land, on that
1: same rail. And it's on the northern side of this peninsula, and there there is no train service on the southern side. It stops there on Mott Avenue, yes. So you have Horace Clark to thank for that. All right. The last train to Clarksville, needless to say. (laughs) The last one. Four years later, the Long Island Railroad would start serving the Rockways as well. Wait, so this is 1873. Mm -hmm. So it's in the late 1860s, early 70s. Clearly, New York's population is exploding right now, so it must be people who are not just sort of the wealthier classes who are visiting, but the middle classes, and then some of these new immigrants well, are in coming. in fact,
0: many Irish immigrants who came over in the late 19th century settled in Far Rockaway. Interestingly, the area had a legacy already, a history of Irish settlements, stretching back to revolutionary times, because... During you know the Revolutionary War and the War of eighteen twelve, mm-hmm. it wasn't so hot to be seen as a sympathizer. Yeah, right. Living inside the city, and so people tended to go to the outskirts, and mm-hmm. so there were Irish families who were settling during those times. So they were perhaps drawn for this reason as well out to the Rockaways. So there's
1: always been a little bit of an. Irish spirit out here, if you will.
0: <laughs> By the 1850s, the area was so popular with the Irish immigrants that it was referred to as the Irish Riviera or the Irish Saratoga. And as the seaside resort community developed in the 1870s and 1880s, these families of Irish descent, they played a very important role developing a section of seaside that would be called Irish Town. Hmm. Um, there were, of course, lots of places to make merry. Mm-hmm.
1: I suppose you mean like
0: pubs, that type of yes, thing. Yes, yes. Saloons. In 1881, of the 48 bars that were in Seaside, which mm-hmm. I'll remind you, this is a small little peninsula, right? Right, and Seaside right. No. is just a neighborhood. Right. Mm-hmm.
1: There were 48 bars in this little neighborhood, and most of them were Irish. Well, I mean, that is kind of what's happening in sort of downtown Manhattan at this time. So that doesn't really surprise me. Sounds kind of fun. It sounds like a blast. It's Irish town. I'd go there right now. You mentioned Saratoga. Now, mm-hmm. I know that when we get into the swing of things with this podcast, how we t- when we talk about things exploding and booming, we need to push back a little bit because by this time... There was some competition from other places. I mean, now this peninsula is saturated with lots of hotels and places. Well, if there were
0: 48 bars in one neighborhood, there had to be people to Mm -hmm. sit on those stools.
1: If you were really, really wealthy and wanted this kind of experience, you probably didn't come here by this particular time. You went to Saratoga. That was where a lot of the moneyed New Yorkers went uh, to luxuriate. Let them go. I'm
0: going to Irish Town. (laughs) But they they kept building hotels. They did. In fact, in 1879, a group of investors and developers bought 140 acres of land that was known as Rockaway Beach Park, which was at about 116th to 112th Street. And there they built the infamous and mammoth (laughs) Rockaway Beach Hotel which was 1,200 feet long. It cost over $1.25 million to construct in 1879.
1: And we're talking the era of Tweed Courthouse, right. so I'm sure there may have been a little bit of that going on. We're talking we'll, about
0: right, a, t- a we'll time of that. bloating projects and bloviating <laughs> descriptions of those projects. Yes. Including a description in 1881. Now, keep in mind that this had been constructed two years previously, and that the hotel could accommodate 7,600 guests. Ooh. The description read it's the largest hotel in the world, while not yet completed.
1: But wait, wait, was it not completed? Well, I'm we'll confused. get to that in a second. Okay. Yeah there were some problems. Right.
0: A part of it was open to the public about the first of August. It has several hundred rooms. And over 100,000 square feet of piazzas. (laughs) What? Plus, there were a number of bathing houses. There was a water and gas supply plant. Doesn't sound real. They they bragged about the fact that all refuse material is discharged through massive iron pipes at a point distant from the hotel and carried by direct currents into
1: Jamaica Bay. It's fascinating that they even went there in any kind of advertising (laughs) discussion. They had to flush it out.
0: (laughs) And on top of the whole thing was a 200-foot observation roof where everybody could go up. And when they went up the stairs, the staircase was so grand and so wide that 40 people could have walked up the main staircase arm
1: in arm. It sounds like the Titanic. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, I mean, well, it did go down. Oh, so I was going to ask who, what famous folks stayed here. I guess well, this was nobody. not an artist resort.
0: It only opened for one month. In August of 1881 even though it had been finished two years prior it only opened for one month because of a number of technical difficulties thousands of men worked on this most of them were not paid and it took the financier JP Morgan to step in buy out their IOUs and and repay them because the men were threatening to burn the whole thing to the ground oh, Wow. I don't know if it was a great deal for J.P. Morgan. He ended up selling off the property for raw materials for only $30,000. Finally, in 1884, three years later, the place was ripped down, and its materials were used to build
1: other houses and other hotels. So is it possible that there's places still on the island that are bits and pieces of this old fiasco called Called the the Rockway Beach Beach Hotel,
0: yes. Wow. And in its place today are the grid of streets from
1: 116th to 112th Street. I can't imagine what it was like just to walk by this spooky. spooky, weird, gigantic hotel. But, you know, people still came out here. There were new elements. You know, we're now talking about the 1880s now, and uh, the new different kinds of exciting things were attracting people, uh, like amusements and games. One of the first early amusement areas was this seaside area that you mm-hmm. discussed. Uh, there would be many kinds of rudimentary games and rides here. Now, in 1893, there was, this is like the second of 15 times that we're going to mention fires. There was a huge fire that swept through here in Seaside. It burnt down dozens of hotels, and, you know, all the sorts of usual chaos that attends a fire in the late 19th century. From a contemporary report, quote, burning saloons were thrown open by the fleeing proprietors, and the mobs took possession of them. It was a free spree, and whiskey and wine were more plentiful, apparently, than the water which was being thrown at the burning buildings. Well, I hope they weren't throwing the whiskey at the burning buildings. <laughs> well, that may have just made it all worse. But Now, fires, and this can have sometimes have a strange positives to neighborhoods, as we've sometimes learned. In the long run, this particular conflagration actually kind of improved Rockaway. For instance, a small newspaper that was formed specifically to inform residents about the fire was called The Wave of Long Island. That newspaper still exists on Rockaway. It's one of their oldest newspapers.
0: And they have a wonderful website from which at least I got some of my information. Oh, it's great. I know. know,
1: And it's like super old style. I love it. This area was swiftly rebuilt. And in fact, one part of what would become that long boardwalk um, was Constructed At around this time, of course, that boardwalk by the 1920s would stretch all the way from Seaside all the way up to Far Rockaway at 5.5 miles, basically double the size of Coney Island's boardwalk. Rockaway would also constantly be at the whim of the weather, naturally, being right here facing the Atlantic Ocean, you know, almost more than any other place in New York. For instance, in 1914, there was a theater that housed 1,200 people that was literally tossed into the sea during a storm. Though I don't think Not there was during a, a performance. I don't think there was a performance, but in 1893, a hurricane hit Rockaway and it had a very peculiar, odd effect here in literally sweeping away. An island that was sat right outside to the south of Rockaway. That small island was called Hog Island. And according to a report in the New York Times that I read, it, quote, rose up from the ocean in the 1860s. So I guess it was just a sort of a sand area of land that sort of got larger and larger throughout the decades. And so they, they actually built a few small resorts out there. Um, it was a quarter of a mile wide. It was kind of popular with members of Tammany Hall who would... Hmm. Go out there and visit the dancing pavilions, and um, there would be little ferries that would go between Hog Island and the Rockaway Pavilion. Well, well they were so into pork products that it made sorry, sense that they'd be on Hog, Hog Island. island. Yeah. Well, this hurricane in 1893 wiped out everything that was on the island, and then 10 years later, the island itself sank. Wow. So there is no more Hog Island. It would literally be something that you would see as you were sitting on the beach of Rockaway. Isn't that like it's like New York's Atlantis over in Coney Island, which is experiencing very similar themes and ex- mm, fires and fires, if you will. in 1895 was the very first amusement park ever in the United States, an enclosed amusement park. Well, this phenomena soon arrived to Rockaway Beach. Another developer named William Wainwright, he was a major developer in Rockaway around this period of time, 1880s, 1890s, quote, almost single-handedly transferring seaside into an area of shops, ice cream parlors, cheap museums, magic shows, and booths with games of chance, fortune tellers, and other attractions. Now, who doesn't want that? that. <laughs> I, just, I just saw you get real excited. I, yeah, I'm sorry, <laughs> but that sounds like paradise. That doesn't sound fun? Well, most of that was wiped away in this fire. Wainwright took that as an opportunity to invite out certain showmen who would build their own parks here. So one of them, a name I think sounds familiar to you, George Mm Tillew, famous for steeplechase in Coney Island. Well, there was also a steeplechase here in Rockaway uh, that was built in 1901. It featured such places like the Wax Museum called the Cabaret de la Mort, a gravity horse ride, a mechanized horse race that was raised above the ground. And a miniature railroad that ran the length of the boardwalk of during of the whole length of Steeplechase. Here, the following year, till you brought in a partner by the name of Lamarcus Thompson. Sure enough, he opened L.A. Thompson's Amusement Park here in 1902. This park would actually entertain the Rockaways for almost seven decades. In 1926, it changed its name to the Rockaway Playland. Right, which is a name that still resonates with many New Yorkers. If you want to bring the nostalgia feeling of, of what people used to think about the Rockaways, just mention the Playland. And of course, its famous roller coaster, the Atom Smasher.
0: And it would be an obvious rival then to Coney Island, which also had a couple competing amusement parks of its own.
1: Oh, a lot of people would consider it to be more enjoyable because there would be a few less people. And a bigger beach. Yeah, oh, a much bigger beach. Absolutely. But there were changes to the Rockaways, to the whole area, because, of course, in 1898 came the consolidation of New York and the formation of Queens, and the Rockaways were then considered part of Queens. Of course, they've always been kind of an odd fit and throughout its history since then there's always there have been these various cries to secede from mm-hmm. New York. So that has popped up throughout the years. So you have this peninsula then that
0: is now part of New York City and it has all these different neighborhoods that used to be different developments, but now they're all part of New York in mm-hmm. the borough of Queens. And there are a couple competing amusement parks, lots of different resorts. Mm-hmm. It's attracting more of a middle class. The, the The railroad is bringing in day trippers. Are people going into the water? I, well, I have to ask because there's a big beach, but we haven't really well, talked yeah, about let's the spend, swimming. Let's
1: spend a minute here of, of what is the beach like at this time. Well, back in the days of the Marine Pavilion, things right. were quite different. Now, back we in were the 1830s. In the 1830s, People weren't even, like, going directly into the water. Like, they weren't just, you know, running out with their surfboards. They were – there was this peculiar device that was being used called – called The Bathing Machine. Um, The Bathing Machine was basically... Well, it was like a little hut where people would go into little huts to change Mm -hmm. into their bathing suits. A a changing Sure, right. Well, these little... They would be on wheels, so it would almost be like a little carriage Mm -hmm. um, and would be tied to a horse. And so what you would do as a proper lady, you would get into this booth, if you Mm -hmm. will... And it would be backed... It would be rolled into the water... And right into the point where, like, you were properly immersed into the water. and then How, you could how open... far would it go? Well, I think, like, around... Um, I mean, when would... you last took one of these portable <laughs> <laughs> bathing machines. I don't really... They kind of look like outhouses <laughs> on wheels. So just enough to, like, maybe breast level or whatever. So, oh. um, and so you're in... That's a word we've never said on the Bowery Boys <laughs> before. And I think the idea here was that in these sort of... Full, even these full-length bathing suits you know, they would be wet and they'd be clinging to your body and they might be, you know. Um, This way, like, a woman could go out into the water and not be harassed by people. Well... Of course, over the years, they would eliminate the horse, and they would leave the little hut back on the sand, um, but there would right. still be a lot of Victorian propriety here. And you know, the bathing suits, as we would see them today, would look quite uncomfortable. and in fact, they look impossible to negotiate right. um, between heat and wind and water. Well, because they were made of flannel
0: and other <laughs> uncomfortable materials. And
1: how would you wash out all that sand? I mean, this right. is ridiculous.
0: So, Well, thankfully, the horses were no longer in the, in the water, because that's just kind of, <laughs> that's
1: not right. But back to, back to this era, like back to 1900, men could begin wearing shorts, but they would still wear shirts. So a lot of the um, flesh bearing that is common on the beach today uh, would not happen for several more decades until this point. In 1900, so like right as these amusement parks were being constructed, there was a court order that the lands that were west of these amusement areas could be opened for development, for habitation. So um, it was around this period that the neighborhoods of Bell Harbor and Neponset were built. Bell Harbor, in fact, basically developed around a yacht club that was built, if that gives you any idea of what the community might have been like. Sounds fancy. Um, Neponset, in fact, which was uh, started around around the 1910s, uh, the landowners actually require that the housing that was built on this particular land had to be of a certain kind of housing. It couldn't
0: be a shack.
1: No, no, no. Which, of course, there were lots of shacks around right. here, but it couldn't build that here. Of course, um, this led to a, a haven of many mansions that, I mean, like even the modern neighborhood sort of traces to today. There was also a military presence on the island, during World War One, the U.S. Army built Fort Tilden, which was even a little bit further west of this, built it among the dunes and beaches here. Right next to it was the Rockaway Naval Air Station, was a strip that was built in nineteen eighteen. The very first plane, or should I say, flying boat, as they (laughs) called them. Flying boat was the very first transatlantic flight originated from here, from the Rockaway Naval Air Station. So this military presence, this Fort Tilden, dominated the western edge of Rockaway here. As we enter the post-World War One era and of course getting towards the Great Depression. We're about to get to that time of our podcast where things in New York aren't so rosy.
0: Well, no, we're at that part of the podcast where I get to say... Robert Moses, Parks Commissioner, enters the scene.
1: And the Rockaways do have his thumbprint on them, even today, certain areas. Oh, yeah, no, these tides have not washed away (laughs) Robert Moses' imprint. Usually when we
0: bring up Robert Moses at the end of a podcast that's full of gaiety and mirth. Whimsy. And which of our podcasts is not filled (laughs) with gaiety and and mirth? and Whimsy. (laughs) I think we tend to speak about Moses in in sort of villainous terms, you know? It's sort of like, oh, here comes Robert Moses to ruin the day. An anti-hero. Right. Because he's coming in and he's usually ripping things down or he's plowing some sort of six-line, eight-line highway through a neighborhood, and he's dividing communities, he's doing whatever.
1: And maybe a little bit of that happened here. But some of that, uh-huh. of course, might <laughs> sure, happen uh-huh. here,
0: but I think that it's not that simple. It's rarely that simple, actually. I believe that we try mm-hmm. to do a job of presenting both sides of the story in the, other, in the other podcasts as well, but this is not quite simple, because Robert Moses, remember, loved beaches. He loved public spaces. He was a big protector of parklands. Of course, he was the parks commissioner.
1: He lived on the South Shore originally. Right. So, and you he know. developed in the 1920s, mm-hmm. he
0: developed Jones Beach, which is an amazing spot, when he was the president of the Long Island State Parks Commission. He loved beaches, and he didn't want to hand over those spaces to developers, to private developers, because he thought the beaches belonged to the people. So instead, when he became the city's parks commissioner in the 1930s, he spent millions of dollars developing the beaches out in the rockaways, uh, adding beach houses, many of them with a sort of deco touch mm-hmm. of the times, building changing rooms and boardwalks. And he kept these beaches free of private clubs or residences. I believe he moved some that that had been stationed right there hogging up the beach.
1: I, I don't know if he deserves the conservationist, <laughs> but he kind of was this if if accidentally because a lot of these areas around Jamaica Bay especially were preserved because he shoved other things to the side. In 1932, Moses constructed Jacob
0: Reese Park, which was developed on the site of the Rockaway Naval Air Station right, that you had just mentioned. Yeah, it got closed down, turned into this park. I think he sort of modeled
1: it after Jones Beach.
0: It was created in a similar style. Oh,
1: almost. I mean, like, if you've gone to both, it is literally like it's, it's a smaller version. Even that bathhouse is, although really beautiful, it really is dwarfed a little bit by the Jones Beach bathhouse. And
0: you might be able to read some sort of class significance into this as well, because (laughs) middle and upper classes could perhaps get out in their cars to Jones Beach, whereas working class folk would take public transportation of some sort if they sure. could, and buses mm-hmm. and such to get to Jacob Reese. I mean, for heaven's sakes, he even named it after Jacob Reese.
1: <laughs> the pioneering activist and journalist, right, right we, of, the low, of the Lower of the lower side. We might even points, say right.
0: right, how the other half swims.
1: <laughs> that is a good joke. I had it written <laughs> perhaps perhaps inappropriate. Sorry, I just had to. <laughs> I, I couldn't resist that one,
0: Greg. I'm sorry, That's okay. Aside from beaches, Moses built bridges to get to the Rockways. In the 1930s, he built and opened both the Cross Bay Bridge, which connected to Queens, and the Marine Parkway Bridge in 1937, which connected to Brooklyn, which obviously made the Rockways more easy to access by New Yorkers. Also, Greg, I didn't know if you noticed when you were out there, have you seen the bungalows of Far Rockaway? Well, starting in the 1920s, there were these small bungalows that were constructed with just a few bedrooms, a bathroom and a kitchen, a small front porch and maybe a back deck. And they started cropping up by the thousands little bungalow row houses from Far Rockaway to Rockaway Park. They were constructed mainly by working-class Jewish and Irish families as their summer residences, and their very appearance signaled sort of changing times in the Rockaways in the 1920s and 1930s as it took a decidedly more
1: working-class turn. Well, these hotels were being ripped down one by one all across the Rockaways, being replaced with individual family dwellings. Although some of them remained open. Side note,
0: today, there are still a couple rows of these old bungalows out on that the far Rockwood. No, that still exist. have survived. And that have been preserved. Okay, so we've survived Robert Moses kind of, Mm -hmm. but we get to the part of the show now with post-World War II and what happened to New York City. The housing crisis. The housing crisis, but also, more specifically, with people moving out of the cities as jobs moved out of the city in the 1950s and 1960s. Middle-class families moved out to the suburbs because they could, because there was a transportation revolution, people had their own cars, and suddenly, a place like the Rockaways didn't make so much sense. A whole class of New Yorkers no longer needed to escape the city during the hot summer suns if they had already escaped to the suburbs and could be in their own backyard. They could grill. They could jump Air conditioning, a, if right. They had air conditioning, right? Air conditioning
1: was a huge development here. And this same kind of thing happened in Coney Island where you still had people coming to the beach, but it was deteriorating very rapidly. People certainly weren't building new hotels, new attractions. I believe that the subway opened like 1950, 1949, 1956, which made the Rockaways more accessible technically. Right,
0: but people were still perhaps less inclined to come, especially as we get into the 1960s. So businesses were closing. Fewer people were coming out to this beach resort, which didn't really exist any longer. There were also a series of fires. So you had a lot of these old resorts burned to the ground. And then at the same time, and Robert Moses was involved in these, the city was going through some urban renewal projects. Mm -hmm. And so they were looking for blighted neighborhoods, entire blocks that could be ripped down because they were fostering crime, because they were just not pretty to look at. So entire sections of the Rockaways were being ripped down.
1: One famously uh, was that neighborhood of Arvern, which was once the jewel of the Rockaways, uh, was basically turned into a massive dumping ground because they ripped down all of the buildings because for this urban renewal project, but then due to a lot of like bureaucratic incidences, um, they were never built. So it was just for decades sort of left mm-hmm. like it's a wasteland, really.
0: Remember Old Irish Town mm-hmm. that I was talking about in Seaside? That, after World War II, was buzzing with activities. It kind of went through this rebirth with all the Irish bars packing in the crowds. There was the White Horse, Smithies, the, the Mermaid Inn, the Last Stop Inn, others. Anyway, in the 1960s, it too fell victim to an urban renewal project and almost all of old Irish town was demolished. Gone were the bars, gone were the bungalows, gone were the shops and the hotels, and they were replaced by apartment buildings? okay some shopping centers, lots of parking lots, and most romantically,
1: a sewage treatment plant. What's happening here, judging from the sewage treatment plant, is that instead of having a lot of day trippers, that Rockaway was the, the Rockaways were becoming a place where people lived permanently. Right, but a lot of those people who
0: were living permanently there had not chosen necessarily mm-hmm. to move there. Because at the same time, by the late 1950s and into the 60s, certain neighborhoods in the city, in Manhattan and Brooklyn and the Bronx, certain neighborhoods were deteriorating, the housing conditions were dire, and those places were going through their own urban renewal mm-hmm. projects. So people were being displaced in, say, Manhattan, like during the construction of Lincoln Center. Right. So there were all these people living in public housing there. They needed to find a new place. And so there was kind of musical chairs, musical apartments around <laughs> to different right. public housing Meanwhile there were all these old resorts and hotels that were still standing in very bad condition mm-hmm. out in the Rockaways and people were put into these dilapidated summer resorts they were moved which is there. just right which is heartbreaking to think about. So some of these not even properly winterized or they were winterized by their landlords who were really kind of slum lords and doing a cheap job of winterizing them. So people were living in these dilapidated former shadows of a, of a resort. And at the same time, the city was building new projects all the way out in Far Rockway and in in the other neighborhood's. And a lot of the people who were sent here tended to be those who had the most dire needs in the most pressing situations. Because it
1: was the furthest out from the right. city. You take the people with the greatest needs and send them the furthest away. So it's, it's sad because all of a sudden this beach, which should, of course, be used for enjoyment, is actually being turned into a place where New York is putting its almost its undesirables. And especially
0: tragic because most of these people didn't have the services. Being so far out, these people who need... Needed special social services and hospitals and
1: treatments. And Were the furthest away from them. Were the furthest away from
0: anything, really, that the city could offer.
1: So by the 1960s, this place, once full of the whimsy that we spoke about, was almost unrecognizable as a resort getaway. Of course, you had JFK Airport, which was expanded upon in the early 60s, and so now you had all these residences with planes zooming overhead the whole time. The furthest west of the Rockaways, the, um, the most western point, which was once dotted with little tent cities and also had bungalows there, in 1960, became actually – and in contrast to what's happening throughout the rest of the Rockaways, actually became a gated cooperative here called Breezy Point and would be kind of insulated from a lot of the blight that would occur on the rest of the peninsula. Um, they fought back against a huge housing development that was going to be built right on the edge of it. It's secluded and private to this day, and it actually has the unusual distinction of being the whitest neighborhood, meaning the most Caucasian neighborhood in New York City. Right next to it um, was that old Fort Tilden. Well, in 1974, it was decommissioned by the U.S. government, and the land was granted over to the National Park Service. Today, it's part of the Gateway National Recreation Area, so you can actually walk through the area today. It's like... These old military structures of, you know, mysterious design. It's a very beautiful place if you like urban ruins. Um, These government buildings are literally consumed by the land. The land is – the overgrowth has uh, enveloped them almost – Right next to that is Jacob Reese Beach, which is once known as the People's Beach. It's still open. It's a little deteriorated also. I think it's a still wonderful place to go to. That Art Deco bathhouse still sits there, but most of it's unused.
0: And there's plenty of parking. The parking lot can,
1: <laughs> can handle 5,000 cars. <laughs> One of the largest parking lots, and mostly it sits without cars. Now, Rockaway Playland, through all of this, through everything that you've just described was still there. Um, stunted a little bit by the shorefront parkway that was built there during the 1930s. Very sad shell of itself, though, of course. Um, it was eventually closed in 1985. In the 1960s, the area would also attract surfers. So it's the only place in New York City where you can actually surf. It's kind of unusual to to be walking along the boardwalk and to see surfers and to think, am I in New York City? Now, the current housing crisis that has affected the united states has hit the rockaways pretty badly but it's starting to slowly pick up at least along the boardwalk in certain areas with new restaurants uh that are drawing new new yorkers out there that are sort of rediscovering this amazing beach i mean it really is an incredible
0: beautiful huge place totally underappreciated when we were there last weekend I went swimming and felt like I had the whole beach to myself. I mean, it's
1: incredible, right? I mean, I just—it's hard to like. We live in the confines of New York City, and like, it's—it's it's so open, and you're just—you're faced with the with the Atlantic Ocean. It's so striking. Particularly, recommend the best way to experience it is to start at this beach, one sixteenth Street. There's actually some vestiges of old architecture of this old era of Rockaway that. ...is still there. You can also see a very important memorial here because a very horrible event happened on November twelfth, two 2001... Right after um, the attack on the World Trade Center, American Airlines Flight 587 crashed in the Rockaway neighborhood of Bill Harbor and killed 265 people, many of them of Dominican heritage. So at the end of the street, you can see a memorial to the people who died in that disaster. But from there, you can actually get on the boardwalk and – head east and walk for miles and miles and you'll see all sorts of different kinds of things and the neighborhood will change the beach will change the number of people will change they'll be really crowded in some places and very sparse in others there'll be like a little bird preserve at one point it really is a very one-of-the-kind place and sometimes actually recaptures that original name of the rockaways the places of waters bright you can visit our blog boweryboyspodcast.com for some of these pictures of the glory days and a sea few bathing. <laughs> Might yes, you some sea a bathing have a sea bathing of course and even some of the not so glory days you can also check us out on facebook and on twitter under the same handle the bowery boys so thank you for taking a dip into the history of the rockaways with us so everybody have a great new york summer whether you swim here or
0: not